We've been studying Matthew's gospel as what's been on my heart for this year, starting in January. Let's focus our attention on Jesus. He is the center of our life, of our heart, what makes things work. And if we could learn more about him, there's so many distractions that are calling for our attention, and there's a lot of divisive things that have taken place in our country and in our community. What's the thing that will unite us? Jesus. If we can come together in him, that's been what's on my heart. Let's talk about Jesus, let's worship him, and let's pray. Do the basics and see what kind of miracles that he might bring. So in this Gospel of Matthew, he highlights the Sermon on the Mount, and it's three chapters worth, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, which is where we find ourselves today. We've been walking through segments of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me do just a little review of what Jesus taught and what we've looked at so far. He's been describing the characteristics of those who believe in God and who follow him. He has told us that the poor in spirit, those that are humble, those who mourn over their sin, those who are gentle, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, these will inherit the kingdom of heaven. We have been told by Jesus that we should forgive those who offend us and seek to make peace with those who have been offended by us. We've been warned not to lust, not to seek revenge, not to love money, not to be judgmental of others. We've been encouraged to pray, to love God, to love others, and to trust God. Last week, in verse 12, Jesus gave us the golden rule as a call to lovingly treat others just as we would like to be treated. All of that leads up to verse 13 and 14 that we're going to take a look at today, and it's positioned, interestingly, in Jesus' teaching. When I rehearse all these things that he taught in this one message, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, one of the things that grips me is that all sounds really good, and I want to do all of that. And I have miserably failed at several of those things along the way. We'll be walking in a good spot at times and follow those guidelines and follow those instructions, follow those principles. And there'll be other days where we lose our mind and our way and we are not treating people properly and we fall under other temptations and sins and the very things that Jesus is teaching us we should be striving for, we have a desire for, I know I do. All those things sound good to me, like, yes, I'm going to go for that. And yet I know I've come up short. We all have. What do we do when Jesus gives us guidance that we can't live up to? That's where we find ourselves in the passage that we look at today, is he gives us the answer of what to do when you come up short, when it seems impossible, he, review, he reveals the beauty of grace. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, 
for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. These two verses, all of a sudden, in the teaching of Jesus, just like stand out, like, wow, that's pretty drastic. We can pick those verses out and have, if you've walked in faith for any length of time, these verses become familiar to us. We may not even remember where they were positioned in the teachings, but we know they're there, and we will use them sometimes. When we're talking to people, yeah, don't you know there's a wide road and a lot of people out there, they're going to their destruction and there's a narrow road and few there be that find it. And we tend to use it almost as a club against people that we deem to be on that wide road. And we consider ourselves to have found the narrow way. And we're grateful that we're in the right place and almost take this as an exclusivity clause that, hey, we're doing good and all those other people are damned. And we have a sense at times of using it almost gleefully that we've got this down and lots of other people don't and so be it. Actually, in the positioning where Jesus places this teaching, he gives us the opportunity to understand that though we can't Atone, we can't live up to all of the things that he has called us to do. There's a way out because there is a wide road that many people are on. You and I have been on it too. And if we're not putting our trust in Jesus, that's where people are on that wide road. And there's a lot of mayhem and destruction following that road. There's a narrow gate. There's a narrow entrance. What is that narrow entrance? It's actually Jesus himself is that narrow entrance that we come through, and it's actually a beautiful testimony that everybody that's on that wide road leading to destruction can be free, can be saved, can be protected if they'll simply see that there is one narrow way that we can find that door of that narrow way and come through it, then all of us can get off that wide road and get on the narrow road. And we can find who Jesus is in our journey. Who is this man, Jesus? Let me talk about him for a moment. He chose to be born into poverty, although he deserved a king's welcome. He's God, God's only son, and he comes from heaven to earth to be born into a human environment through the womb of a virgin woman. It's an amazing miracle where God plants the seed and Jesus is sinless when he comes into this world because he didn't have a human bloodline. He had the bloodline of God's spirit. And this miraculous, this miraculous birth brings about the king of the universe coming so lowly into this place of poverty. That's Jesus willingly placing himself there. Jesus worked ceaselessly and tirelessly First, for his family, he was a carpenter. We don't know much about him till at 30 years of age, he begins his ministry. He starts being known to be a teacher and doing miracles of all kinds. And we have this three-year window where the Gospels tell us of all the things that Jesus did and what he said. 
and the miracles that he performed leading up to his sacrifice on the cross at the age of 33. He was so humble, he washed the feet of his own followers. Here he is, God, and he's coming to help save all the people that now are being attracted to him. And instead of him setting himself up for them to just exalt him as king, he lowers himself and washes their feet in humility, helping them realize how much he loves them and how much he's come to serve. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who is this man? Unusual, there's no one like him. He teaches endlessly about love, about compassion, about understanding, about forgiveness. He teaches about all the things regarding the kingdom of God. He heals the sick, he brings hope to the poor and to the downhearted. He gives up everything and takes nothing with him wherever he went. Scriptures tell us he had nowhere to lay his head. He just would find a place. He didn't have a home that was his mansion on earth. He's got plenty of that in heaven and wow, what a day that's gonna be when we find ours, what he's preparing for us beyond our wildest dreams. He had a calling with an unimaginable courage about him. And he used that courage to give up his life so that we could be free. He knew what he was marching toward. When people began to come to him and ex you know, exalt him in the season that he was teaching and the miracles that he did, when people saw these miracles, they came in droves and started to worship him. But they were still looking for a different kind of a king. They thought it would be one that set them up on earth. He set up a different kind of a kingdom. And Jesus knew all the while that he was marching toward his own doom, where he was gonna suffer, physically suffer. Many humans have physically suffered it's hard to imagine all that Jesus took on himself. He knew what he was gonna face. What's worse that others have never experienced is that Jesus took the sins of the whole human race on himself. One soul bore the sins of you, me, everybody in this room, everybody on this planet right now, billions and billions of people, everyone who's lived before us, who are living now and might live after us. He took all of our sins. It's, it's not even fathomable to grasp what that's like. And he felt it all, the most horrific sins, the simple sins, the moderate sins, the desperately wicked sins. It, he took it all on himself and he knew this was what he came for. He has courage like no one else. To be able to face that straight up and still say, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go through with this. That shows how much he loved me, how much he loved you. Who is this man? There's nobody like him. Literally, there is not. There have been many other prophets. Now, man tries to make other ways, other systems. We, we want to figure out that there must be some 
other kind of possibility to make it to heaven because we, for whatever reason, get confused in our own mind. It's in, instead of just accepting this one way, this narrow way, there are people that have problems with that all around. This is one of the things that I, I struggle with in my own way of trying to help people understand who Jesus is, is some people have blockages when it comes to this. That there's just one way. There's some people that think there's gotta be other ways. There's some people who think, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. And we start to think that we would be better than God. We get ourselves in a really interesting place when we start questioning the wisdom of God who created us and then provided a way of escape for us and paid the price for us. And we're going to think, yeah, I don't know if I get you. I don't know if I want to follow you. I don't know if you're good. A lot of people are struggling with whether God is good or not. How could a loving God allow people to go to hell, to be separated from him? And it's hard to realize that there's such a good side of that question. He makes it possible for every single person without exception to go to heaven simply by taking the gift that he's offered, this one savior, this one prophet, king, savior, who is everything wrapped up in the one who is sinless and perfect, who paid the price for all of our sin on the cross, that if we just come through this one door, this one way, no one should be excluded. Some people think this is a religion of exclusivity. No, no, actually not. It's the faith of the incredible inclusivity that no one needs to be left out, not one. Everyone can come in. He won't leave anybody out. It's just that we've got to come through him. That's the deciding factor. And people don't want to do that. Whose fault is that? We want to put that on God that he created this plan and I don't like his plan. It's interesting how we get intellectual about trying to figure these things out instead of simplify ourselves and our hearts and say, this is who he is. It's starting to make sense to me. Who is this man? He's the picture of grace that leads us to a brand new life. Some of the songs we sang, I wrote down some of the lyrics. You made me perfect through all your suffering. I can love you again. You deserve the highest praise. Think of that. He made me perfect through his suffering. He suffered to make me whole. That's a good exchange. Like I'm good with that to receive by his invitation. And now I can praise him. As far as the east from the west, you traded my worst for your best. Grace after grace, love without end. Whatever I've done wrong, whether it was 10 years ago or last night, as Matt said when we were praying earlier in this time together here today, doesn't matter what burdens you came in with. It's grace after grace. It's love without end. And Jesus is here is that entry point, that narrow gate who has shown us the narrow way. And when we read about that narrow way, he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. What does that mean? It's hard that leads to life. It was hard what Jesus did for us. 
That was not easy. The road that's hard that leads to life is not the road that we've got to work hard at. It's the road that he worked hard at to make it possible so that we can just walk on it. We can come in through him and we can live a life filled with blessing and promise. Oh, there's challenges, no doubt, and he let us know that. In this world, you'll have trouble, tribulation. Be a good cheer, I've overcome the world. Why is this narrow way hard? Because it was Jesus was the one who did the hard part. Now we come through him and we can have our lives set free. You stood in my place. I'm a miracle of grace and I'm free. Think of that. That's what Jesus did for me. You stood in my place, Jesus, the Son of God. Thank you for doing that. I'm a miracle of grace and I am free because I've come through this narrow way. If I stay out there on that broad road thinking, I don't gotta go through him, I'm gonna figure this out some other way. I think I can, I think I'm smart enough, I, I think I'm ingenuity, I have enough ingenuity in me to do this. There's gotta be some other ways and there's other people saying that there's other ways. And how can it be so narrow? It's so narrow that it's incredibly wide. It's so narrow that that one way gives the opportunity for everyone without exception to be able to go through, go through Jesus and we're all in. Let's go through him. You stood in my place, I'm a miracle of grace and I'm free, I'm risen with you Lord. My future is secure. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, pure sinless blood and his righteousness. Weak made strong in the Savior's love. Christ alone is the cornerstone. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. The narrow gate refers to the same thing Jesus said in John 10 and verse 9. I am the door, Jesus said. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. People are struggling who don't know Jesus like we do. Is he good? I'm not sure if he's good. Oh, he is good and gooder than anything good in the whole universe. He is the good one. He is the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? He laid down his life for his sheep, us, you and me. He paid the price. He did the hard thing on that hard road. Now we just come through him. It's narrow because it's only one entry point, but it's so broad that no one is left out who will come. Somehow, I can see this clearly in my head and it's frustrating to try to cause the rest of the people that don't understand that to get it. Do you feel that sometimes? When you have Jesus, you know he's the way. There's other people that don't and they're just living a crazy life and all you're trying to do is say, man, this is, all, this, this is not... This is not something against you. This is something that's for you. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you are. God has created you beautiful. And you can walk into that beauty. You can achieve everything he's created you to achieve and to be just by coming to him. How simple, yet how difficult it seems. Because the enemy 
is trying to still steal, kill, and destroy and keep people from seeing this picture clearly. John 14 and verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. When we see what he came to do, what grace that he has for us, and we accept Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. This is not bad news. This is the best news that is available to mankind today and every day. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. It's the same good news. He's going to prepare a place for us. The narrow gate is narrow because there's no other way to enter the kingdom of heaven except through faith in Jesus alone. The point of entrance is narrow because it speaks of faith in Jesus and no one or nothing else. This is not troubling. This is life-giving. This is amazing that everyone could know this. Everybody that's all messed up and doesn't know what to do with their future and their life could come to realize, oh, this is the answer. There's just this way. Jesus Christ, he's the son of God. He died for me. When that starts to dawn and the Holy Spirit makes that known, our task is to pray that the spirit of darkness leaves the mind of people and that their eyes are open and their ears are open and their hearts are softened to say, oh, that does sound good to me. I can see that being for me, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and paid the price for my sins so I could have eternal life. When that dawns on us, he's that narrow way that did the hard part of that hard road so that you and I can enter in. Let's go and let's let others know how possible it is to make it through that pathway. The narrow way reveals the beauty of grace. Matthew 18, verse 3, Jesus responds to his disciples' question about greatness in the kingdom of God. What's greatness? He said, truly I say, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is helping us to realize we, we make things too complicated. We, we get too smart for our own good. We get cynical. In order for us to enter the kingdom of heaven, we need to turn away from cynicism, from the lack of trust that characterizes many grown men and women who think they're going to figure it out their own way. And Jesus said, Best thing you can do, take on that characteristic of a child. What's that like? Well, children that are learning and they ask us questions and we can give them a valid answer, they go, great, let's go. Children are not so caught up in all of their own mental wanderings and thinking that 
They're standing against what they're being taught. That's what we need to be like. Come as children to God. Humble ourselves and say, he must be right, and I'll listen to what he has to say, and I'll receive it and walk that way. That's the narrow way that we need to get through through humility. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is a verse that helps me know that when we talk about Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, it sounds like lots of people are going to not make it to heaven, and only a few are. And what's God's heart on that? He makes it really clear what his heart is. He said, I don't want anybody to perish. I want everyone to come in. I want everyone to come to repentance. The, the Passion Translation, that same verse, just modern language, says it this way. This means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return as some measure lateness. But rather, his delay simply reveals his loving patience toward you because he does not want any to perish but all to come to repentance. He tells us what his heart is like. He doesn't want anyone to not come to faith in him and make it to heaven. Not, he doesn't want one soul. So why hasn't Jesus come back yet? We talk about being in the end of days. And there's a real you know, atmosphere of preaching about that right now that is common in the Christian church, probably worldwide, at least feel like the end of days. They do, like, I get it. I understand that. Feels like Jesus could come back any day. He could. He hasn't. Why not? Because he has such a big heart of love for that person that hasn't yet accepted Jesus who hasn't yet come to that narrow way. There's still people out on that broad road. Why is he patient? He tells us why he's patient. He's not slow like we count slowness. These days don't bother him to wait another day when it could be another soul make it to heaven. So his patience is all about, I don't want anyone to perish. As soon as he comes, somebody's going to be left out that maybe if there's another day and another opportunity, they'll come in too like you did, like I have, that we come to know who Jesus is. So he's waiting. I get, I get the feeling. I've, I've got the attitude at times like, come on, Jesus, please now. Today would be a really good day. For you to come back. I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of this journey. I'm tired of the divisions. I'm tired of the opinions. I'm tired of the battle. Just trying to get my own heart right. Just trying to figure out how to do my job every day. I am tired. Jesus, today be a good day. And he's not coming today. I don't know. He could. Well, if he doesn't come today, that means somebody else got in. If he doesn't come tomorrow, why? Because somebody else got in. And you know what? I begin to work that out in my mind to where I'm good with that now. I need to stop being a whiner and a complainer and giving ear to all the divisiveness. I'm tired of the divisive conversations and participating in them. I was talking with Jimmy on Friday about some of the challenges that we face in society, and he said, you know, I just think it's about 
Jesus being the center of it all. We sang that song last week. I'm like, dude, you're blessing me right now. Let's just sing about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's make it all about Jesus. Why? Because he is that narrow passageway. And when we come to know him, he's the one that brings us all into unity. It's where we need to go is through Jesus. Well, what about this? I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to pray a little bit more. We're talking about Jesus this year. We're going to sing about Jesus every time we can. We're going to pray about Jesus able to help the people that haven't yet understood him come to know him. Let's get our focus on the things that we can unify around. Jesus is the unifier that we want to come around. Amen. So he's going to wait another day? Awesome. Good opportunity for us to see somebody else come in. I'm good with that now. I wasn't good with that last week. But I just preached myself into being good with it today. (laughs) And uh, hopefully you too. So let's go. Let's go. Let's stop complaining. Let's stop being whiners. Let's have some courage like Jesus calls us to. He's going to give us the ability to trust him and to keep believing for another soul. Right now, I hope I live to be a 100 on this planet because there's going to be how many more people come into the kingdom. Now, I didn't say that last week. I'm saying that today. Here's the last thing, and we're going to wrap it up. So we see this verse and go, I don't get it. We met with our staff earlier this week to study these verses, and we just kicked it around like, how do we figure out what Jesus is trying to tell us? We had these incredible conversations, studying theologians and commentaries and trying to get our bearings. And this is where we land, where we're at today. And one of the thoughts was, really, just a few people make it? And it brought us to Revelation chapter 7. And the picture of heaven that's still to come. It's down the road. John gets this vision of what happens in the end of days. And after Jesus comes back. Verse 9, Revelation 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And I have read again, it was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne. So I guess it's not just a few people that are going to make it. It's a great multitude. And that encourages me too to say, come on, let's do this. Come on, let's be winsome about our testimony, about who Jesus is. We're not trying to preach an exclusion to people that aren't yet walking with Jesus. We're trying to preach an inclusive gospel that says, all you have to do is trust Jesus Christ. It's just that there's a narrow way. Yeah, that's true, but that doesn't exclude you. That includes you. All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is believe. His love for you and what he's come to do for you. We've got a great message to share. I caught a little bit of the Golden State basketball game 
yesterday. They were playing Houston. It was on ESPN, national broadcast. I wanted to see it because partly DJ Wilson went to our high school, graduated from here, got a scholarship to college at Michigan and got drafted in the NBA. He got traded this year from Milwaukee to Houston mid-year, and he's getting more playing time. Houston's in a rebuild, but I just wanted to see DJ play, and it was fun watching him. He got quite a bit of time in the game yesterday, but the other reason was Steph Curry for Golden State is probably my favorite player right now to watch. He's just unbelievable. His skill set, and he worked so hard at it. He's probably the best shooter ever in NBA history, three-point shots. He makes the most ridiculous shots. It's just stunning. And he's got a great spirit. He's a Jesus follower. He started a book club a few months ago I learned about. I actually signed up for it because I want to read about what he's reading about. (laughs) This interested me. And he had a terrible game in the first half. Is kind of a bummer to watch. Like, couldn't make his shots. He was two for ten on three-point shots. Missed eight, made two. He had seven points at the end of the first half. He's been averaging over 30 every game for several games. And he's like, oh, that was sketchy. And they were behind by about six points, Golden State at the half. And then the third quarter, and he comes out on fire. Makes his first three-point shot, and it just set him on fire. Third quarter, he made five out of seven three-point shots from just all over the planet. Other shots, other free throws, layups. He's just phenomenal to watch. He scored 23 points himself in the third quarter alone. They got a big lead at the end of the third quarter. By, By then, he had 30 points for the game, seven in the first half, 23 in the third quarter. They got a big lead. He didn't even play in the fourth quarter. Didn't need him to. But I watched to the end. DJ got some more time. And then the announcers decide Steph is the guy to interview, no doubt, because he was the player of the game. They had to wait for him when the game ended because he was over on the sideline with somebody that had come down that he knew, and he had a pair of shoes he was signing his name on and making it personal for this friend. Finally, they got him away from that to come to the interview. And while he was signing the shoes, one of the announcers goes, I think he wrote a scripture on there, it was Romans 8, 31. And the other announcer said, well, what does that say? And the guy says, I think it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And they went on and I'm thinking, that's a good verse and that's one that Steph uses, but that's not Romans 8.31. So <laughs> nice effort, but. <laughs> then they did the interview and it was interesting, him talking about the game, the difference between the first half in the third quarter. It was fun. He's a winsome, happy guy. And then as they finished the interview, somebody must have looked it up for the announcers. They try to make sure they give facts. And it came back to it and said, actually, that scripture I talked about is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so they're giving testimony, these announcers. They don't even know what they're talking about. But they're talking about Jesus, and it's an awesome thing. And if you want the fullness of it, Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That one works really good too. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so what we are doing today is following the testimony of who Jesus is that Steph has in his life. It's working for him. Maybe it'll work for you that Jesus Christ is the way. He's the narrow way. It's the only way. And that's really good news. That's beautiful for us to know and to walk into that reality of his grace and of his love. If God is for us, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is my Lord and my Christ.